five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. here on the dock of the yacht i've got my my yachting cap on today and uh we're getting ready to uh pull out pull out of the dock here and take a little cruise around the bay of your mind and uh that michael mcdonald track and tribute goes out to the president of the uh, michael mcdonald fan club and that's of course loki loki one of our, our favorite chatters over there in Chattar. That one's for you, brother. Getting a lot of love from the uh, two two reactors there. That was actually pretty funny. Let me adjust my cap. Let's see. I got to put this cap on. Courtesy of Punk Love. Big shout out. Uh, the cap will be part of a larger ensemble moving forward. We're going to have a big send-off for yachting season on the 23rd. Don't, don't, uh, don't, be, uh, don't be late for that. That's on a Friday, by the way, a day before the world is apparently supposed to end. So we're going to send it off. We're going to send the yacht off, and we'll be moving into Dark Yacht or Yacht Noir after the 23rd. A whole different kind of ouvert of music. Coming your way. Hey, I was on uh, Lindsay's, Lindsay Sharman's uh, show last night over on Rockfin. Uh, it was really good. Really, really good. And I posted a link over on Facebook and Twitter. So um, I think that's available. You can watch that show. And I'll be doing a webinar with her on Sunday, she has this day of brightness and all these people come in and do some teaching, right? So she's um, contracted me to do a little uh, astrological teaching. I look like fucking old man in the sea today. Look at this. This is what happens. This is what happens when you, when you uh, get wise. All I just need is a little pipe here and I'll be like the, the Gorton's man. The Gorton's fish man. I actually met, I met the Gorton's fish man. Not really, but kind of. It, it was a guy in Maine. And he was, what was his name? I forget now. But he was, my, my buddy Richard Grossinger, who I haven't talked to in a while, uh, did his dissertation on the fishing culture of Maine. And he was the guy that he 
basically learned everything about the local culture from, and we actually got to meet him when we were back there, when it was uh, kind of in my honeymoon phase, my marriage. Anyway, let's, uh, let's get into the absolute best chat group on the internet. You know, that's uh, that's Ch- Chataria. And I got a little, I got a little treat for Chataria today. And for the rest of y'all, I can pull this out here, which I'll show you in a second. But before I do that, let me give each and every one of you a warm greeting. I was already in chat this morning. I was the first there. Let's see how everybody's doing. Uh, We got Sony. We got Empath. uh, We got Chris and Steve. There's my man, Ryan. Let's see. Where's TJ? Kabuki Theater's here. What's happening, KT? Good to see you. Michael asked me about 924. Everybody's talking about 924. I won't get into it today. Maybe I'll talk about it on uh, Friday's show. Uh, Fran is here. What's going on, Fran? Anna Sophia. Anna Sophia. Remember Anna Maria Alberghetti? who sold the spaghetti sauce. I didn't know who the fuck she was. I guess she was an opera singer or something. And they decided that she would be a good spaghetti sauce spokesperson. I bought it. I mean, I didn't buy the spaghetti sauce. My mother made her own spaghetti sauce. But I bought that if I was going to buy spaghetti sauce, I was a young kid. But if I was older and I needed to buy spaghetti sauce, anybody named Anna Maria Alberghetti selling spaghetti sauce, I'd throw down for that. She seemed legit. Wendy says, what's happening, beautiful one? The beautiful one. Hucklebuck 411. Morning, HB. Let's see. Who else do we have here? DJMC, what's going on, Brother Mike? Top of the morning to you. Pump out the jams. I keep forgetting. You listen to that song on headphones, man. That thing really, that thing really pops on headphones. Wonder what the music will be. There we go. Gave a talk on Plato and 9-11 or Patriot Group Sunday. Had some fun Merck retro tech issues, but went okay. I had a great conversation with Hattie McCoskey on Sunday, who just finished his book, Plato's Cave. Leaving Plato's Cave. And I guess he'll be on with us in October. So uh, Chris and Steve and everybody else, you'll probably... Enjoy that talk. He was on with uh, Jimmy Brent, I think, a couple of days ago. Okay, who else? There she is, the queen. We got a couple of queens in the house. It's Queen Lisa. Good morning, Queen Lisa. Where, where's where's the, the Leo queen, Dawn? Is she here today? Miss Nakia. Kelly B checking in. Good to see you. Pillars of Hercules. Falling down. Let's see who else we have. The 923, 924 thing. Here we go. You know, I just, I, I'm not really, you know, so let me give you an insight into Robert's brain. When everybody's going in one direction, Robert goes in the other direction. 
I'm just a natural contrarian. So when everybody's talking about 924, am I talking about 924? No, I'm not. Mercury retrograde, I'm going back in time, talking about 911. Although clearly we could toss 924 around. I think uh, Michael earlier in the chat asked me what I thought about it. And I, and I said, uh, well, if something's going to happen, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be an incoming object or Russia is just tired of playing nice. So I've been reading a little bit of Scuttlebutt. Maybe some of you, I, you know, I don't watch the Duran. So maybe this is being talked about on the Duran. But um, from what I've heard, there is an inner circle in the Kremlin who are not as centrist as Putin. And they want to move him out of the way, whoever Putin is, whatever Putin is, they want to move him out of the way so that they can go hardcore in this thing. That's what I've heard. But you hear a lot of things. Uh, let's see. Kathy Kramer, what's going on, KK? Good to see you. Welcome to the show. Uh, look at Sony. I'm under a rock. What is the 924 thing? I know, right? Good for you. The plane, the plane. Yes, the plane. Uh, cannot love, cannot love this song. Can't not love this song. I know it's a great song, right? Those guys were getting into it, man. He keeps forgetting over and over and over again. He's got a, he's got a terrible memory. Funny shit. Uh, let's see who else do we have. This song Kelly does not approve. It's okay, Kelly. We'll be moving on to Yacht and War. I'm just concentrating on the album cover. Why am I going? Michael is a silver fox back in the day, right? Silver fox. Where does Robert find this stuff? I do it for you. I have no life and I do it all for you. If McCuck, he is the sexiest one alive. Yeah, you know, you can't deny it. You can't deny the Mac, the Michael McCuck effect. Okay. Okay. He was, he was, Michael McDonald was fucking everywhere in the 70s and the 80s. Everywhere. The sound of a hemorrhoid giving birth. Oh, one AI. Should we throw on some death metal for you? How about, how about some Swedish death metal? We, we could have Grave Yacht. How about Rot Yacht? Yeah, we'll do a whole month of nothing but Swedish death metal and maybe some hardcore industrial and Rot Yacht. Uh, let's see. Oh, thanks, Jacqueline. Yeah, the captain is... The captain is uh, Attired, attired up. Wait, wait till the uh, wait till this wait wait till the yacht send off show on the twenty third. Where's Gilligan? He's lost. Bob Denver was a trip, wasn't he? 
that guy got such a lot. He had a ton of mileage out of being two characters. Maynard Krebs, who was TV's unofficial official beatnik on the uh, show Dobie Gillis. And uh, Gilligan. He was on something else, too. There was another Bob Denver show. I forget what it was. Laron Robert, I know, right? All right. I do, you know, I've been thinking about fucking L. Ron Hubbard with this whole yacht thing, because there are stories about L. Ron Hubbard where he would he would take people out in Florida, like they'd go out on the boat, right? And he essentially would do astrotheology with the, you know, with, with the stars and the constellations with people on the boat. And just kind of blow people's minds, right? That was an L. Ron Hubbard thing. That's so funny. Captain Steubing of the USS Tartaria. That was Murray. Let's see. Here we go. Yeah, the, the cap. The cap does some things. You know, if I had some sunglasses, I'd put them on right now. All right, who else we have? Maurice, what's going on, Brother Maurice? I would have been a great addition to Gilligan's Island. But what, uh, those are archetypes, right? Gilligan's Island is archetypes. Although they're comedic archetypes. You know, I heard that uh, Tina Louise was big-time trouble on the set of Gilligan's Island. And... Uh, one of the things she spent a lot of time doing was getting banged in her trailer on the set. Can't wait for the Yacht Noir. Yes, it is coming. Someone's channeling L. Ron Hubbard. He's a Pisces. I got my south node in Pisces. Maybe he's coming through the south gate. Yeah, Lindsay's great. Really great. Jacqueline, what's going on, Jackie? You need the yellow ring. The Gordon's the Gordon's fishman needs the yellow ring gear for sure. Got Rocky in the house. What's going on, Rocky? Welcome back. Happy Carrie's here. Looking forward to seeing her in October at the big event. The big event. Uh, let's see. I remember that, Robert. What else do we have here? Are we officially, Kelly B, we are always on the love boat. We're always on the love boat. We never, we never, we never got on and we never got off. And once, once Chataria was set up and rigged and ready to go, it's been uh, smooth sailing ever since. Smooth sailing. Myra, hey, Myra, tinfoil, we got a full house today. Wow. So I've been putting the links up on Facebook because I guess this is day two without Tom. I'm going to have to reach out to Tom. Let's see. Those two guys in the Duran are really good. Nibiru would be cool. Be about fucking time, right? Jesus. I started getting into Nibiru back in 20, was that 2008, 2009. I was really obsessed with Nibiru back then. We were so disappointed the way the Durant kissed up to the queen. 
Equicentric, yes, death yacht. Rot yacht. Is there such a thing as ambient? Yes, apparently there is. Uh, Mike Meddy is the expert in that. TFT says, I remember seeing the Doobie Brothers playing in Golden Gate Park. Wow, that is going back. Another park, another Sunday. They, uh, the Doobie Brothers formed in my, I guess you could call it my hometown, San Jose. They were the official biker, bar, biker band. They were the Hells Angels biker band. Used to play at all their parties in uh, Los, uh, Los Gatos. Tina not aging well. No. Archetypes or stereotypes. Good. That's a good one. I think they're more stereotypes, actually. Good call. Yeah. So you're going to put me on a show? The stereotype? Okay, I can dig it. I can be stereotypical, I suppose. You can find some stereotypical things about me. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? We've all had our Nibiru phase. I'm listening while I unpack boxes. May not chat much. That's okay. I'll unpack some boxes today, too. That's what I'm here to do. So I wanted to show you guys something. This is really cool. Really cool. If you're listening to the podcast, welcome. You could be here watching, but that's okay. We're also streaming live on Rumble. The uh, 15 Minutes of Flame channel over on Rumble. So check that out. Look at that. That is courtesy of Lady Artemis. And uh, that will be gracing the uh, exclusive product from True Hemp Science. So we have a private label product that Chris is working on. That's the private label. And I think I'm going to use it for some other things. We might, we might turn that into a, uh, some shirts, maybe some coffee mugs. I think it's pretty cool. Pretty cool logo. Uh, we've got the uh, kind of the Art Deco effect. And of course, you can see right there in the center of the Palace of Fine Arts. So Chris is working on it right now, uh, getting ready to put all this together. And hopefully by the time the event rolls around, we shall have it. So that's a, an entree for me to talk about True Science. What do you guys think about that logo? I got to check out what you, what you, what you feel, what you feel. How are you feeling about that logo? Isn't that cool? Pam likes the hat. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. I love that logo. It is the palace of fine arts. The most Tartarian structure that uh, I can think of has a vibe, man. Palace and I've seen I've seen a lot of things there. I saw I've seen concerts there. Who did I see at the Palace Fine Arts? The tubes. I saw the tubes there. Uh, I saw Barbara Marciniak at the Palace of Fine Arts. That was a trip. Let's get into a little true hemp science since we're talking about the product. And uh, the rave reviews just keep coming back. Uh, in fact, yesterday I had a conversation. Uh, with a client that I think I have a reading with here shortly. And um, she has become a rep for True Hemp Science. 
uh, down in the New Braunfels area. So this is great, right? So she connected to Chris through the show. And now she's setting up her own little uh, storefront um, in, or in affiliate relationship with Chris in the New Braunfels area. And I just love this, man. I love the, the growing organic nature of what we're doing here with true, it's, it's become, and I've always, look at this. This is, I really love this. Recover, relax, focus, energy, sleep. And, uh, you know, I've always championed hemp as this thing that could be something that literally binds us together because of all of its different and various uses from CBD to hemp clothing products, um, to even hemp fuel and um, things like, you know, hemp wood, which you can get, you can get pressed hemp and use it for flooring. So there's, there's a myriad of things that we can do with hemp. So I always felt like hemp could be that binding universal principle it grows fast, super fast and has so many uses. And one of them is CBD. So we're starting here with CBD right? This is where it all begins. And here at True Hemp Science, the website that I'm on, um, you can get great CBD. And it's so good that people are wanting to work with Chris. This is, this is great. I just, I love watching this thing proliferate and bloom. Uh, Lady, Lady Artemis is bringing some products over to the True Hemp Science uh, storefront in Austin, leaving some stuff there in consignment. By the way, if you're coming to the event, you get to meet Lady Artemis and uh, she'll have her astrological, symbolic, and tarot jewelry available right there. So that's going to be great to have her there. It's just, I just love watching this, this network bloom. Like I said on, the, on the, the chat yesterday, you go back and you look at Sunday Night Show and there's a comment there that says, you have the coolest, most intelligent people, you know, chat, period, right? And without a doubt, without a doubt. So, it, it, you know, we're not just, it's this invisible community, it's this invisible network, and we're linked up, and we have all these really interesting nodes. Like, for instance, we have the Krimis. And I know I'm here to talk about Trium Science. But, but I'm talking about how this whole thing proliferates. We have the Krimis in North Carolina who are kind of like part of the Underground Railroad. And people go and hang out with them, right? And there are all these other little nodal points kind of all around the country and uh, around the world for that matter as well. And I'm really happy to uh, you know, be somebody that could help bring people together in this way. So hemp is kind of this new organizing principle and through the hemp, we get CBD. So if you go to truehempscience.com backslash ref backslash 23, you spend a hundred dollars or more. Chris will throw you some free product. I think he's working on a new, the gummies are so popular that he's just burning through his gummy supply. So he's constantly having to replenish uh, the, the gummy, uh, the gummy stash. So, but if you get $100 a product, he'll, he'll throw you some free product and 
if you spend $150 or more, you'll get free shipping. Uh, the more that we grow, you know, and the more that his business grows, in a lot of ways, the more that we, the more that we grow. It's just so fascinating to watch this thing happen. And, you know, when I got that uh, message yesterday that somebody's actually uh, now part of his retail network, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. This is really, really cool. And then we get our own blend, our own Chataria blend, limited supply. All right, let's get into uh, today's topic, which is the, the nitty, the nitty gritty. So I want to talk about somebody today. We're going to get into some video. Uh, we're going to get into some real high strange. And then tomorrow, I think what we're going to do is we're going to get into the aftermath of 9-11. We're going to look at the neocons and the march to war, Afghanistan, Iraq, and it was on. War without end. War without fucking end. And then we also have the activation of the Patriot Act, which is a layer that sits on top of the Constitution, and we have not been the same country since then. Abrogated many of our rights. Using the reversal of language, it's anything but a Patriot Act. All right. Let's uh, let's take a look at this man. Let me here. Let me get this picture up here. So, what I'm going to share with you today might be a tad controversial. If you have a particular bias or skin in the game, but it's Mars and Gemini, so uh, we can get into a little contrarian. This is Bernard H. Mendick. Bernard H. Mendick was Larry Silverstein's former brother-in-law. And we're going to get into Bernard's story a little bit today and how he and Larry Silverstein became bitter rivals. And it wasn't just Larry Silverstein. So let's talk a little bit about Bernard Mendick, who he is. And the dates here with Mendick are very interesting as well, especially as they relate to Silverstein. Bernard Hyman Mendick, May 29th, 1929, May 28th, 2001. So he died one day short of his birthday. He died on the 28th. He was born on the 29th. And Larry Silverstein is born on the 30th. Little little bit of uh, high strange there for you. Was an American real estate developer, founder of the Mendick Company, and chairman of the Real Estate Board of New York. Mendick was born to a Jewish family in Glasgow, Scotland, and emigrated to the United States as a child. His father was a handyman. He graduated from the Bronx High School of Science. In 1954, he graduated from City College in New York. In 1959, he received a JD from New York Law School, where he met Larry Silverstein. After school, he married Silverstein's sister and joined her father's real estate business, Harry G. Silverstein and Sons, in 1966. By the way, that's right around the time the Twin Towers started to get built. Uh, Harry Silverstein died, and Mendick and Larry Silverstein formed Silverstein and Mendick. The partnership was quite successful until Mendick divorced his wife in the late 1970s, and the partnership ended. 
Mendick also cited disagreement over real estate strategies with Mendick wanting to buy buildings while, success, uh, while Silverstein wanted to, to build. Um, they hired Jerry Spire to assist in dividing the assets. Mendick then founded the Mendick Company. Okay, so Mendick's strategy for buildings for real estate was to buy and hold. That was his strategy, buy and hold. He was not a developer. He was not a flipper, but he was invested in the, the long-term monetization and assets of those buildings. Let's keep going. In 1982, he joined the Real Estate Board of New York. And in 1992, he served as its chairman until his death under his stewardship. So he's, Bernard Mendick is, is he, he's not a minor player in the New York real estate business. Until the stewardship, the real estate board persuaded the state legislature to end or reduce real estate related capital gains and transfer taxes. So they were, he was instrumental in helping them keep more of their money and profit. He also successfully promoted legislation legalizing real estate investment, investment trusts in New York. In April 1997, Mendick folded the company into Vornado Realty Trust. Remember that name, Vornado? It's an important name becoming Vornado's co-chairman for $654 million in stock and assumption of debt. The combination of the Mendick Company's seven midtown office buildings with 4 million square feet transformed Vornado, then primarily a holder of suburban malls, into a major player in New York City's office market. In October 1998, he resigned from Vornado. Now, that said, there's a very good chance that he was still engaged with some form of consultation with Vornado, as you'll see. Mendick taught at the New York University from 1960 to 1987 and received the Fiorella LaGuardia Award for Civic Achievement presented by New York City Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. He's got some philanthropy work, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so I'm going to go to another story here, uh, which is his obituary which is very interesting in terms of uh, what it adds to our conversation. Let me find that there. I usually have these things teed up on the same browser, but I don't today. All right, here we go. So this is his obituary which is written on May 31st. So he's, he dies on, on the uh, 28th. He's born on the 29th. Larry Silverstein is born on the 30th, and then they write up his obituary on the 31st. So four days of Gemini. Here we are, Mercury retrograde, ruler of Gemini, going back and exhuming the uh, biographical remains of Bernard Mendick. He was the chairman of the Real Estate Board of New York and a longtime force in the city's commercial real estate market. Died Monday at New York Presbyterian Hospital. He was 72. The cause was cardiac arrest, his family said. As chairman of the Mendick Company, he ran one of the leading Manhattan property management firms. He joined the Real Estate Board in 1982 as its chairman. Since 1992, he was a principal spokesman and lobbyist for the industry and also had the ear of Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. 
Mr. Mendick and his board won repeals of taxes and regulations considered onerous by real estate interests. In one instance, they persuaded the state legislature and to reduce capital gains transfer taxes on property in the 1990s. I mean, look, New York has been known for having extremely high taxes. So whether, whether it's serving the interests of a downtown real estate mogul or somebody who has property and wants to transfer that property or sell that property without the onerous capital, uh, the uh, capital gains assessed to that sale, how are you going to argue with that? If you're benefiting downstream from something like that, how can you argue with that? Mr. Mendick was also at the forefront of the campaign to block a broad new city zoning initiative that would have limited the height of skyscrapers, an issue made acute by Donald Trump's plan for the world's tallest residential building now nearing completion near the UN complex. Mr. Mendick and his allies argued that the change would be disastrous for future development. So Bernard Mendick did not have an ally in one Donald John Trump. And it's interesting how, um, and I'm not saying that Trump killed Mendick. Please don't misconstrue that. But it's interesting how there have been people who have um, been against Trump in a business sense, business opposition. And they have suffered strange fates in the midst of heated and contested either battles or negotiations. Mendick is one of them. Another one is John Bassett. And John Bassett was a Canadian who had found his home in the United States and was the, one of the founders of the United States Football League. And his team, the Tampa Bandits, who ha- and uh, he had a uh, co-share or co-owning interest with uh, Burt Reynolds on that team. And he and Trump were rivals in the USFL and Bassett, just like Mendick wanted to keep the operation at a manageable level. Mendick wanted to keep the skyscraper height manageable. He thought that what Trump was pushing for, which is always bigger, better, more in Trump's eyes was the wrong move to make. And if you look at Mendick, he was, again, his style of real estate development was conservative. He would get buildings He would invest in buildings and he would hold those properties. Unlike Larry Silverstein, who would buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. And of course, we'll get into Silverstein with 9-11. John Bassett opposed Donald Trump's move to try to get the NFL to take on the USFL as part of the NFL. Now, Trump knew full well that not every single USFL team would make it. Trump wanted an NFL franchise, and he had been rebuffed on a number of occasions by the NFL. They didn't want him to be a part of the NFL, so he got a USFL franchise. Um, the New Jersey Generals, I believe, was the name of the franchise. So he and Bassett were at odds, and Bassett was respected, liked, loved, right? So he, Trump had a formidable ally 
uh, or a formidable opponent rather, um, in John Bassett. And then John Bassett got cancer. And I believe John Bassett died in 1985. And at that point, Trump just took over the USFL. And then he did everything in his power to force a merger into the NFL. And he wound up actually collapsing the league. Um, he sued the NFL for antitrust violations. And uh, the suit actually ruled in favor of Trump. It's like, yeah. And here's the reward to your damages. He got $1.11. That was the check awarded to Donald Trump when he sued the NFL. You, you take on the NFL at that time, Paul Tagliabue, I believe, was the commissioner, if not Pete Rozelle, and both those guys. Even though Rozelle was very hard on gambling, it, was, it would not be a stretch for those two dudes to be connected to organized crime. Because in fact, they allowed the DeBartolo family to buy a franchise, that franchise being the San Francisco 49ers. And the, the DeBartolos come from the uh, well-known mafia town of Youngstown, Ohio. So you just do the math there. So Mendick was involved in the purchase. He wanted to buy the entire structure right? The entire complex, both buildings, plus building seven and everything else that went along with it. Now, Vornado got involved. And Vornado, and this is where I'm, but I'm not clear, and I'll try to clarify this by tomorrow. But Vornado actually had the higher bid. They had a higher bid than Silverstein. And they chose Silverstein. So Brother Nathaniel, who I think is a very interesting character, we're going to, he came up with a pretty, uh, pretty interesting article here. Let me see if I can find it. Let me get rid of that. Hold on one second. Uman momentito. Oh, I can't find this thing now. I gotta get rid of that. Anyway, um, Larry Silverstein won the no bid contract. He he won. Here it is. I found it. So now I'm reading from the blog of somebody who happens to be Jewish making a commentary on somebody who happens to be Jewish. And we're just going to try to get to the facts. Uh, the Zionist Jew, this is brother Nathaniel, by the way, who happens to be Jewish, although he did convert to Greek Orthodoxy, obtained a 99-year lease, interesting number, of the World Trade Center on July 24, 2001, just seven weeks before the 9-11 attacks. He bought this thing seven weeks prior to 9-11. Silverstein obtained the lease from his Jewish synagogue buddy, Louis M. Eisenberg, who's then the chairman of the Port Authority of New York. So it's an inside deal. Even though Vornado Realty outbid Silverstein, 
by $50 million. So do you think uh, Mr. Eisenberg maybe got a cut of that money that was coming his way? That maybe Vornado would not have been so keen to uh, play ball here? Eisenberg aboard of Vornado's bid in favor of his Zionist buddy, Silverstein. Eisenberg, who was a huge contributor to the Bush-Cheney campaign. Oh, hello. Is a member of the Republican Jewish Coalition, former partner of the Jewish bank, Goldman Sachs. Remember, this is Brother Nathaniel, born into a Jewish family. I'm just reading his story here. Silverstein and Eisenberg both held senior leadership positions with the United Jewish Appeal Billion Dollar Zionist Organization. At present, Silverstein is on the UG, UJA's, this is a while ago, UJA's Board of Directors. The UJA raises millions of dollars for its client, the Zionist State of Israel. We cannot deny that. It's true. That's what that's what Israel is. It is run by Zionists. Silverstein is also co-founder of the Israel Export Development Company. A particular note, the Wall Street Journal reported that Silverstein regularly had breakfast at the WTC's windows on the world every morning. Yet, strangely enough, Silverstein had a doctor's appointment the morning of 9-11. Okay, so Vornado. Now, again, I need to sort this part of it out because I know that Mendick was also bidding on the building. Now, was he bidding in? Was he bidding uh, on? You know, um, for Vornado, right? Was he doing Vornado's bidding, or was was he his own entity? I'll clear that up by tomorrow because Vornado was the company that he had been part of. But it's clear that it was an inside job. I mean, theoretically, don't you want to take the highest bid? Would you want to take that $50 million and uh, spread it around for some good old public projects, make life better for citizens in New York? I mean, isn't that how the game works? Apparently not. So he did a deal, an inside deal with Silverstein. Silverstein got the building seven weeks before. He officially closed on it seven weeks before it all happened. And then he took out the insurance policy. And just prior to that, the one person who knew the most about Larry Silverstein, Bernard Mendick, mysteriously dies. Somebody who had no history of any kind of heart condition. None. And then when you get into the mythology of 9-11, what are you looking at again? You're looking at the fucking Gemini code, right? You've got Mendick, who's a Gemini. You've got Silverstein, who's a Gemini. They're actually in that Gemini wheelhouse, being brother-in-law, right? So this Gemini thing just shows up all the way through the whole 9-11 story. Donald Trump's a, a Gemini. So... Giuliani's a Gemini. I talked about this before. So there's a lot of high strange here that takes place before the event itself. We talked about gelatin. We talked about the B thing yesterday. We talked about the missing $2.3 trillion. We talked about the mysterious Dove Zakim, the dual citizen who moves back and forth between private enterprise and public service, which is not uncommon, by the way. So now let's get into some real high strange. I want to show you guys 
some videos here. And um, let's start with this one. This is one of the famous plane videos. If you're listening, you'll be able to hear um, some of this via the uh, narration. So let me just, my narration and the narration of uh, the uh, person who's made the video. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, one of the towers. The other one already has a thick uh, pillar of black smoke engulfing it. And we're about to see one of the planes enter into the building. So here we go. Super slow video of Flight 175 that hit the South World Trade Center Tower on 9-11-2001. Take a really close look because there are two impossibilities I'm going to show you here. This video was allegedly shot by Michael Herzakani, a diamond merchant based in Los Angeles, California. The first impossibility is a real airplane couldn't have sliced through a building with a steel facade with reinforced concrete flooring and 47 steel support beams. A jet's wing can't slice through a steel building like a hot knife through butter. But that's the story the news media wants us to believe, and most people are still believing this hoax. But the second impossibility is in plain sight. In fact, I can't believe it took me over 12 years to see. Let me show you a still of this video. I've highlighted a building that's clearly behind the South World Trade Center Tower. Yet when we pay close attention to the video, Flight 175's wing should appear in front of the building, not behind it. This is a layering CGI glitch, and this proves that this video, which was seen all over the world, over and over and over again, year after year, is a CGI rendering. Thus, it's not an amateur witness video. It's a fake. And this is one of many, many faked videos put out by the news media. There you go. So if you're um, listening, you can see here that the plane of the, uh, the wing of the plane should be in front of this building in the background, but it's not. It's actually behind it. This plane is fake. And I've been a proponent of the no planes theory for a very long time. And I know that there's a video out there. Oops. I know there's a video out there that um, purports to show a plane going into the building from one of the, uh, I guess, a, a like a, that's not a cruise ship, but like one of those ferries that, that take people to work. So there's supposedly a video of that. I mean, I've seen the video and I'm like, after all these years, it's finally surfaced. Well, let me show you another video that after all these years has finally surfaced. Now, keep in mind that this video is being flown. I'm going to share this with you. It's being flown, it's being shown 
from somebody who is, so there are two things happening here. There's a woman who is looking at both World Trade Center towers from a helicopter and somebody behind her is videotaping her looking at the two buildings. So watch what happens. to is an anomalous object that looks like a missile. Let me play you another video now. Ah, where is it? It's on my feed. I thought I bookmarked it. Let me see if I can find it on my feed. I apologize. It has to do with the sequence of events that take place while Bush is in the uh, elementary school in California. I'm sorry, in Florida. And there are some mega clues that are related to the video that we just saw. Damn, I can't believe that I didn't bookmark that. I apologize. By the way, there's a, a war breaking out in Armenia and Azerbaijan, which is not getting a whole lot of coverage. But that's strategic, by the way, because that means that the Russians will have to fight on another front. So that's all very strategic. That's a uh, an asymmetric tactic. I'm going to find this thing. Hang in there with me. Maybe I should play another Michael McDonald song while I'm doing it. I'm sure that'll get you guys in the mood. Let's see. Let me keep going here. Cruising, cruising, cruising. Man, I really thought I had, uh, you know, there's a possibility that I did bookmark it and that they removed it. There's a possibility of that. I seem to go back through my 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 scroll here, my uh, my crawl, my timeline.
I jump timelines. There's a September 24th video. Let's see, keep going. Uh, the Dow's taking a dump. Let's see, keep coming here. Oh, it's gonna be here, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. You know, if I believed in Twitter search a bit more, I would just I would just use search on Twitter to find this thing. All right, let me see. Let me try that because I'm way behind schedule here. Yeah. So I did a I did a search for, search term for kite. All right, let me see if I can just um, ah, I found it. Yes. I found it. Persistence pays off, boys and girls. All right, here we go. Watch this video, especially in the context of what we just saw from that video, the helicopter. Here's Bush. He's in the school in Florida. Oh, by the way, they're learning how to read by phonics. This is not Freire's critical race theory model transposed into the public school system. This is not the um, critical pedagogy that schools have ascribed to now. Watch how they sound all these words out in phonics, which apparently is quite racist. Without making a mistake, look at the letter at the end and remember the sound it makes. Get ready. Hi. Yes, kite. Get ready to read this word the fast way. Get ready. Key. Yes, key. Sound it out. Get ready. Key. Sound it out. Get ready. Key. What word? Key. Yes, kit. Boys and girls, sound this word out. Get ready. Steel. What word? Steel. Yes, steel. Read these words the fast way. Get ready. Play. Yes, play. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Let's read these words the fast way without making a mistake. Get ready. Kite. Yes, kite. Get ready. Kit. Yes, kit. Get ready. Steal. Yes, steal. Get ready. Plane. Yes, plane. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Go to your speaker reader up from under your seat. Open your book up to lesson 60 on page 153. Excuse me, Mr. President. There's something important I have to share with you that you already fucking know about. Okay, so essentially, kite kit steel plane mud there is a missile system called kite there's a missile system called kite and they're using basically it's a code for what happened right kite kit steel plane mud everything is turned to ash Ash turns into mud. Now, is that planned? Was that planned out? Or is that just some sort of synchromistic uh, programming, right? That just asserts itself into the uh, simulation. And then what happens after this thing, this event, 
you've got people who are on the street and they're selling the story. They are selling the story. The first guy, I believe that CNN or Fox interviews, let me see if I can find that one really quick. Let me see if I can find that thing. Why don't we do this one? Oh, we got a hassle on the porch. All right, so this is eyewitness accounts. Let's see what the eyewitnesses have to say here. We, if we can find the one guy that is selling this thing. Okay, that's not what we're looking for. Uh, let me go back over here because this thing was a TikTok video. And I might have saved it over here, quite possibly. So the upshot, and these are the these are the tame videos. Um, there were people who were planted on the ground immediately within within minutes of this thing happening that were selling the official story and selling the official line. Like they had so much knowledge about what just happened, who was behind it. It was like, this thing happens. It's like Kennedy being shot. It's a trauma. And then that guy is there. to sell the story. Now that guy has showed up in a couple of other places too. I'm going to find him. It's, it's hard to find stuff now on the internet. They keep scrubbing and removing and deleting. And the things that remain are the things that are the most mundane in terms of terms of interpretation. I'm going to find that guy and I'm going to play that video tomorrow so that we can have a look at, and we'll also look at the aftermath 
of what happens with 9-11, the Patriot Act, um, the rise of the neocons, which is a really important part of the story. The march to Afghanistan, the war that didn't end well, was up, went on for over 20 years. I think we started in 2001, 20-year war, right? They ended it in 2021, and they ended it terribly, if I'm not mistaken, 2021. These last two years have just been a blur. I mean, the train wreck has just, it's just been a, a, you know, slow motion blur. But we know that that war went on for 20 years and we gone because there was another war they had to invest in, that being Ukraine. Okay, so now I'm going to play you another video. And this one is going to be controversial. It's a, it's a contra and it's not as if everything else has been controversial, um, but this is a controversial video, and this is from Adam Green's site, No More News. I'm about fifty fifty on Adam Green. Um, apparently, he still has a, a Twitter handle. Um, I'm going to play this and. Be your own judge around this video. Uh, I'll, I'll set the stage for you. It's a this guy's a rabbi, and he's talking about a rabbi that he knew that had foreknowledge of what was going to happen. Here's the video. He's got a strange logo, man. That's like, you know, quadruple Pizzagate logo there, but let's listen to the video. Somebody should tell him that. Go further to Parashat Vayera in the Zohar Kadosh. You will find there an extraordinary information. There will be two big buildings in the land of Edom, which today we relate the word Edom to America. So he's talking about a prophecy in the Zohar. This is what he's referring to, just to give you some context. And those are the biggest, the, the tallest buildings in the world. And they will be totally, they will be brought down completely. And that will be the sign of the beginning of tremendous wars that will end only in the coming of the Mashiach. Two buildings. Wow. You know, I'll tell you something. I think I already told you this, by the way. That the two, uh, one week before, uh, the, how do you call that? The, the World, War, uh, World, Center. Trade Center. World, Trade Center. World Trade Center. Those two great uh, edifices of tremendous architecture. They were destroyed, I mean, to, in such a way that nobody still understands what happened. How come they were brought down in such a massive way? One week before, one of the great rabbis in Israel, Hasidish rabbi, an admor, he came to visit the square Rebbe in, 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 in square, new square. And he, he came with some people, some of his disciples in the car, 
And they were coming towards the evening. He didn't want to lose the time of Mincha. You know, the prayer of the afternoon. So he said, please, can you stop right here? I want to daven. I want to pray Mincha here. They prayed Mincha with Minyan in front of everybody passing in Manhattan. Where? Right there uh, near the, the World Center. After he finished the davening, the prayer, he said, say bye-bye to those buildings because you are not going to see them no more. I mean, it's unbelievable. 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 So essentially what he was saying was that based on the prophecy of the Zohar, that the destruction of those two buildings would bring on unending war. Well, it's not true. Ever since they went down, it's just been one war after another. And even though we are not officially at war with Russia, we are unofficially at war with Russia. And, and Russia may be part of the whole thing too. So I'm, I'm not here to paint Russia. I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of pictures with Vladimir Putin hanging out with the Chabad mafia uh, in Russia. Okay. And who knows, maybe he butters both sides of his uh, pierogi, right? I don't know. Maybe that's what it's about, but it's clear that he has a relationship uh, with the same group of people that were just speaking in the last video. And he New famous rabbi who prayed one week before, I think he was there. I think he said he was there one week before 9-11. And the rabbi said, say goodbye, say bye-bye. You'll never see these buildings again. So what's really going on here, Right. Like, what is the official story? Is the official story that guys with box cutters muscled their way into cockpits in three planes? And based on one or two flight lessons at a flight school in Florida, that they all of a sudden knew how to fly these planes? where they pre-trained to fly the plane and they had to leave a cookie trail so that it looked like they could actually fly a damn plane. The same Muslims who, when they were in Florida, had a history of going to uh, strip bars and drinking because that was part of their, their backstory. So did they really do that? Did a bunch of guys, the box cutters, really do that? And when these planes theoretically started to go off track, we also had Dick Cheney telling everyone to stand down. That came from Norman Mineta, who was in the basement of the White House, their command control center, where Cheney was running everything, because Bush was not in Washington. Where was he? He was in Florida, where they were basically chanting out the kite, the kit, the building, the metal, and the mud with phonics. Thank God it wasn't uh, it wasn't free Aryan learning. Uh, Cheney was running the show. Uh, so he called the stand down. 
told the military not to do anything, if they even had to do anything anyway. Also, Mercury retrograde moment, go back. There were war, They were having drills and war games at that time. So there was confusion. There was a lot of confusion in the air, literally a lot of confusion in the air. And of course, Willie Brown's famous slip of the tongue moment where he says he had gotten a phone call the day before and told him not to fly. He said this after 9-11. He said, I got a phone call on the 10th and somebody told me not to get on a plane. Now, that sells the plane story, doesn't it? Maybe that was the whole point of it. Or maybe somebody was actually trying to warn Willie Brown and that maybe some plane was in play. But based on what we've seen so far, I don't think that's really true. Now, could they have used a kite missile for one of the buildings? Quite possibly. Because remember, we had two buildings and they had to have the appearance of something going into one of the buildings. And if it happened that quickly, people, most people wouldn't notice it. They, they wouldn't notice it. And then with the second building, once the first building was already engulfed with smoke, then the second building becomes the CGI story, which takes us back to gelatin, the bee thing, the hollow towers, that it was built to be demolished, right? That there was an entirely different apparatus and technology at play in order to take those buildings down, which meant that there was foreknowledge, which means that there's a conspiracy. And Larry Silverstein is part of the conspiracy. Larry Silverstein knows all about 9-11. Rudy Giuliani knows all about 9-11. Donald Trump knows all about 9-11. And it's interesting because Trump, on two occasions, prior to becoming president, the first thing he said, and, and it was in reference to Jeb Bush, and it was during the campaign trail, he basically said, you don't want me to say what really happened on 9-11. Those were his words. He was directing them to Jeb Bush because Trump knows what happened. Now, will he tell the truth? That's a whole other story. Because Trump then turned the dancing Israelis into dancing Arabs. And if they were dancing Arabs, then why didn't Trump include Saudi Arabia on a list of countries that, that were not allowed to fly into the United States? You know, he's had that list that he set up, it was in 2017, December 2017. Saudi Arabia wasn't on it. So you get the dancing Arabs, but you're not going to keep that country from coming into this country. Oh, I see. There's also another very strange um, connection between Trump and the Saudis. Now, were the Saudis involved in 9-11? That's a big question mark. I would say yes. I would say yes. So you would have three groups that were involved in 9-11. You would have the Saudis. You would have the shadow government of the United States involved. 
Some people call it the deep state, whatever. I call it the shadow government. And then the third party would be the Israelis. All three were involved. Now, Don Trump's, Donald Trump's wife, John, Don Trump Jr., what do we got left? About nine minutes. Maybe I'll get into this a little bit. Um, let me do this. Okay, so Donald Trump Jr.'s wife Vanessa Trump She grew up uh, in a townhouse up East Side Manhattan, attended the Dwight School, private school Charles Hayden her stepfather uh, who some news articles refer to as her father was a lawyer, clients included Marilyn Monroe uh, Abe Hirschfeld, her mother, uh, Bonnie K. Hayden, uh, a, a modeling agency and is of Danish origin. Her maternal grandfather is Danish jazz musician Kai Ewens. Okay, so she's had some boyfriends. It's been passed around a little bit. In 1998, she was linked with uh, actor, American actor Leonardo DiCaprio. From 98 to 2001, she dated Saudi Prince Khalid bin Bandar bin Sultan al Saud. So he was the son of Bandar Bush, who was a key figure in, in the relationship between the Bush family and their Saudi business interests. And in fact, Bandar Bush was, I believe, the head of the Saudi secret intelligence service. The relationship ended following uh, the September 11 attacks when Khalid bin Bandar left the USA after his Saudi ambassador father, Bandar bin Sultan al-Saud, was suspected of having indirect ties to the al-Qaeda hijackers. Vanessa married Donald Trump Jr. on November 12, 2005 at Mar-a-Lago, um, I guess Trump's aunt, Marianne Trump, presided over the services, right? So it's interesting that even with his son, through his son's daughter, her former boyfriend was connected to the head of Saudi secret services, right? So if that's true, and this is all happening on the Bush watch, right? So you have the shadow government who are the neocons inside of the Bush government. You have the Saudi connection with Bandar Bush, basically using these Saudi proxies. And everybody knows that once they publish that list of people who were the perpetrators of 9-11, most of those guys were still alive. And if they were alive, they were snatched up, and they were taken to Gitmo. And then you have the Israeli side of things, and you can see that through the machinations of Larry Silverstein, his partner, right, the Port Authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now you can see the Trinity, the unholy Trinity, who's really behind 
those three forces. And Donald Trump clouding the waters, muddying the waters by talking about the, the dancing Saudis. There weren't dancing Saudis, and he knows that. Trump knows everything about 9-11. So is Giuliani. And if I was Giuliani, I'd become a fucking alcoholic too. I drink myself to death too. Because Giuliani is a compromised individual. And there's a very good chance that the same people who were part of the engineering of the collapse of the Twin Towers, not, we're not even talking about the Pentagon or whatever happened in Shanksville, just talking about the Twin Towers. There's a very good chance that the same people that were part of the plan to engineer that were the same people who helped Rudy Giuliani get into power. Because Rudy Giuliani was a DA in New York, and he was known for what? Busting the Italian crime syndicates, like people like John Gotti. Giuliani was hard on crime, cleaned up 42nd Street and, you know, that whole Port Authority area. Um, he practiced the uh, broken windows policy, right? Cleaned up the subways, started arresting subway gate jumpers. So that was all part of it. The other part was, and that was when he was mayor. Before he became mayor, he made his bones by prosecuting all these mob guys. How do you think he was able to do that? Do you think he did it because, you know, he had his crack team working on this 24-7 in order to bring the mob down? Or do you think some of these people like John Gotti were just handed to him on a silver platter? And what would be the advantage of that? Well, if you wanted to take out the competition, that's what you would do. That's exactly what you would do. You would hire somebody who was in charge of the legal proceedings, the legal stuff, right? And you would just use them as an attack dog. And at some point in time, there would be political favors and political payback that Giuliani would have to be responsible for. And I believe this to be the case. So Giuliani knows everything. Bernard Carrick knows everything. Donald Trump knows everything. And they're not telling us anything. Anything. And Giuliani will take it to his grave. He'll drink himself to his grave. Because you holding on to something like this will eat away whatever remnants of a man's soul that he has left. So it's a Mercury retrograde, and it's I think it's a good time to talk about what happened. I still think that it is the thread that if you tug on it enough, that the entire thing will become unraveled. And I know there are a lot of people out there that don't think that. Like it's happened, moved on. We broadcast every day at 9-11 to remember that day and to remember what actually took place, not what we were told. All right, uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 9-11 Central Standard Time, and then we'll get into the aftermath of the fall of the Twin Towers, the rise of the neocons, Project for New American Century, the Kagans. You know the story, and that'll be part three of our trilogy here, looking back at 9-11. Take care. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. Bye for now.